So blockchain solutions, the technology itself, is coming very rapidly to the transportation sector. How is it going to affect you? And what sections of our economy is it going to be infiltrating first? I'm Chris Jocelyn, and welcome to Jaws Bites. So welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Jaws Bites, number 29, I believe, episode number 29. My name is Chris Joslin. I am your host for the day. And as always, we are sponsored by iLevelLogistics.com, coming across your screen probably at this very moment. It's an aggregation and curation site meant for people like yourself to take a few moments out of your busy schedule, look at the information, look at the industry indicators, watch a video or two, learn, understand more about the supply chain industry and transportation sector in general. Whether you're a driver out there on the road or whether you're sitting in a cubicle at a desk in the newly renovated office space that you're probably in, at least six feet from everyone else. We are very, very happy to have you aboard, and we look forward to you subscribing to our YouTube channel, listening to us on any number of one of the platforms for Apple Podcasts or Spotify, etc. The idea is that we're going to grow this community as uh, transportation logistics supply chain professionals and as those that are outside the profession that can learn more about something that's integral to your lives today. So today we want to talk a little bit about blockchain solutions, blockchain technology. There's a lot of technical aspects to it. Really, um, from my personal standpoint and in the industry I'm in, blockchain technology is more about the quote-unquote smart contract element that is is a part of how people are starting to do business today. For the last hundred years, the Industrial Revolution and even previous to that, as the Industrial Revolution started and into the the information revolution that's here today, there has been a drive, a continual drive for efficiencies, a continual drive for platforms of standardization throughout an industry itself or across a broad spectrum of industries, both from nation to nation and internationally. Today is no different. Maybe the complex, the complexities of it or the platforms used to do that are different, but ultimately it's about driving cost out of a system, driving efficiencies in and minimizing or eliminating entirely in some cases the third party elements in anything. Years and years ago, there, there became a lot of efficiencies in the manufacturing process, a lot of ERPs, enterprise resource programs and projects and processes that were put into place to gain more efficiencies, to make sure that every single widget that was being manufactured was being done in the most efficient and effective ways. You can be a Six Sigma black belt in efficiencies, or you can look at and read about, quote unquote, the Toyota Way, which is was a, a book and a process and established um, parameters of coming up with the most effective and efficient and cost-regulated ways to move about a manufacturing plant, to go from A to B in the most effective way to get a product from raw materials all the way to finished goods and into the consumer's hand. 
that's always going to be a driver. And technology is the main driver for those things today. And blockchain technology is kind of one of the main ways people are looking at in the future doing that. There's not a huge swath of people using this technology at this point. A lot of it is is curtailed or captured within the crypto um, cryptocurrency umbrella, if you will. But smart contracts, definitionally, are really part of a larger ecosystem, a fintech ecosystem, financial technologies. There are a lot of new financial technologies coming out to drive those costs down to, to make those middlemen either go away or become minimized or transform what they do in a different manner that's that's more effective and efficient and cost um, non-cost prohibitive. But smart contract is really an encoded agreement between two parties, right? One on both ends, because there's always a, a supply chain, the manufacturer and consumer and everybody in between is part of the supply chain. It's what we talk about every single day in our industry and how to strengthen those links in the supply chain and how to make those links uh, less distance between the two parties is part of the, not the game, it's part of the effective way to go about doing business. So a smart contract is an encoded agreement, encoded agreement between two parties that executes an exchange automatically, an exchange automatically. I want you to get that down because an exchange is, is a, a value relation between two parties. Somebody's giving a service or a product or something else in exchange for monetary compensation or a trade of some kind or something in nature that can be equivalent equaled in value to the prospecting parties. Okay. It's an exchange. It's a trade. It's a barter. So this is again, a uh, automatic and automatic was the other part of that. Something that can be done without human intervention. Once goods are delivered or service completed, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, you know, any contract must comply to contract law. So it'll be, it'll be an evolution as we start to see these smart contracts come into existence. And in some ways, every every time somebody buys a Bitcoin, there's a smart contract allowed to create that value for whoever's buying that Bitcoin and, and how that is, is looked at. Now, smart contracts in general are, again, coded um, into, into a platform. Ethereum is the typical platform that is used today to build these for standardization purposes. And really it, it, Ethereum is kind of a, it's almost like an account you have on Ethereum that builds the contract or the agreement between these two parties. So it can be legally binding again, as long as it conforms to contract law and contracts very interestingly can be nested within these terms. In other words, a smart contract can be developed on the Ethereum platform and can call on another smart contract already on the network that may apply to some additional detail on the transaction protocol necessary to the framework of the first contract. So you can have a, a large general contract that has deep um, meanings within certain terminology. Maybe it's a claims terminology. Maybe it's some kind of addendum with a, a series of quotations in it or accessorials or fuel exchanges and in the criteria to base additional parts of a quote on those things. So instead of making hundreds and hundreds of pages of this one contract, you can use the current 
smart contract to call on one of those nested contracts that are out there because they're on the system. They're immutable. They're, they're trackable and traceable. So, you know, a smart contract alone cannot get information about the real world at all. I mean, that's because it's a program. It's a, it's, it's an application of digital uh, information that is set in motion by a transactional or an input of some kind. Hopefully those inputs are automated because that's the general idea. But if, if they are not, they, they can't go out and get information from the real world events because they can't send, you know, HTTP requests. This is intentional. It's by design. It's, it's something that was built into the system on purpose to give it an autonomy, to give it a, a transactional history, a chain of custody, if you will, for those transactions that is, that is tied to an understanding across a huge swath of, of um, digitalized, uh, digitalized community or in technologies. So relying on external information, you know, it could jeopardize consensus. That's why it was designed to not have external information. That's why it's important for security and decentralization. We'll get into kind of something called DeFi, which is decentralized finance a little bit later in the conversation here. But a smart contract is pretty simple. This is kind of how it looks. An option contract, and you can see on your screen now, there's a little little uh, um, figure that's coming up on your screen that, that talks a little bit about how these smart contracts work. And so this, the first step is there's an option contract that's written as a code into a blockchain, again, primarily on Ethereum. And then the second step is an event, a delivery of a good, expiration date, tr something triggers the execution of some element coded into that contract. And that's one of the most important things that's, that is there because it's an automated triggering system. There's no anomalous information. There's no ambiguity about this whatsoever. If, if A, B, and C happen, then a, uh, a series of things are triggered. And at the end of the day, whoever is supplying A, B, and C and promised A, B, and C will be compensated for that with some like value that's determined between the two parties in the contract itself. So the assets are released to those necessary parties as a third step. And then the fourth and one that's, that's probably going to grow in its complexity because regulation always grows in its complexity, but regulators can study this immutable transaction record in detail to understand all the activities that have taken place within the construct of whatever that agreement, whatever that transaction was. Now, smart contracts, they kind of eliminate the need for intermediaries. I mean, that's, that's one of the main drivers that comes out of this kind of discussion, this kind of um, automatic uh, blockchain technology that's linking these parties together in a, in a much shorter form and a much more efficient form. And, you know, they automatically carry out the contract terms once the requirements, whatever is designated in there, um, have, have occurred. So, you know, the directions that are written into the contract to represent the potential outcomes of each transaction, they can be completed with a certain time frame. And if, and if something is only partially delivered, for instance, then the executable part of that contract has not been determined. And there has to be con uh, other considerations before the finalization of that uh, agreement or that small individual transactional contract, if you will. So that's that's kind of the basis for this. And, and it, you know, as a good example, 
<clears throat> a contract can be drawn up between, you know, in, in our world, especially right now when there's 40 something steamship lines sitting off the coast of Long Beach in LA waiting to be unloaded. There's an awful lot of freight on those. I don't know what the average TEU it holds. The biggest ones in the world are probably 20,000 plus TEUs. That's 20 foot equivalent units sitting on one of those ships at any given time. But uh, in any one of those TEUs, those 20 foot equivalent units, there's product, there's merchandise, whether it's a pallet of, of, of you know, something from, from China or whether it's, it's uh, some food coming to and from the United States. There are, there are products that are, that are being determined and drawn up between an importer and exporter all the time. And then, and then one of these smart contracts can be developed between these two parties. So written in the code housed on that blockchain, it stipulates the exporter must deliver, say, I don't know, uh, 30 pounds of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, bananas. So built into this, Housed on the blockchain smart contract, there's a stipulation that the exporter must, you know, let's say it's going from uh, Zhuhai, China to the port of LA. And there's an agreement via this smart contract on blockchain to deliver, uh, you know, some type of plastic, <clears throat> 30 pounds of this special plastic for signage or something like that to an importer. By a certain date. Well, the exporter delivers the goods on time and receives an automatic payment. Regulators then can use the blockchain to study the transaction, ensure that all the regulations, all the, the um, agreed upon uh, certifications and imports and, and clearances and everything that needs to happen can be utilized and understood and backtracked and verified. That is what chain of custody is really all about. There's got to be a verification process. And uh, maybe a more commonplace example, one that is, is great for people that aren't necessarily embedded into the transportation world, is an ex a vending machine. The person puts in a required amount of money and it you know, punches in a number of the item they want to purchase. And once the input number is correct, they receive the, uh, the item automatically via the mechanics, the engineered part of a vending machine. Well, this is the com computational way of doing the very same thing. A vending machine is designed to produce an automatic outcome if the buyer takes the required steps. Smart contracts are in place to create an automatic outcome in exchange of, of money, in exchange of value of some kind based on the input from the user themselves. Thus, both parties are satisfied with the transaction. So, you know, beyond vending machines, though, smart contracts are already in use. I'm just going to use maybe a you know, one example to think about right now, and then I'll go into maybe some of the markets that, that, that people are thinking about in terms of smart contracts. But there's a company called AXA. It's a French airline, not very big. They're using an application called Fizzy right now. And that's to automatically reimburse passengers whose flights are more than two hours late. That's it. So if there's a criteria that, that the smart contract, that Fizzy is the, um, not initiator, but the, the, the component that, that, that reconciles both ends of this. If there is a, if there is a two hour late uh, flight, if a passenger is registered on this small transaction of some kind, 
a late flight meets contract requirements acts as a triggering event to release the funds automatically directly to the passenger, avoiding any middleman and going, well, Fizzy is a middleman. It's an automatic technology and AI middleman, so there's much more efficient. But as the technology improves and the industries become more aware of the potential, smart contract usage will increase. I know there are, there are um, technologies used in similar fashion to monitor uh, theft components and, and uh, kind of um, analyzing what might be risks within certain elements of, of transportation supply chain. But the, there are specific target industries that make a lot of sense when you think about smart contracts and what they may be able to do. And the one that comes up the, the, the most is kind of one of those DeFi things that I mentioned earlier. DeFi, D-E-F-I, is a decentralized finance. Centralized finance is around central banks. And banks, of course, are just intermediaries. They're a place for you to put money and take money from. And if you look at what banks do is they, they utilize your money to loan to other people or they utilize somebody else's money to loan to you in companies, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very, very effective. It's going a long time. And there's a cut that's taken from that by the bank, which is really in, in essence, a giant escrow business. So the mortgage industry is part of the target markets, if you will, or target industries for smart contract technology. And it's massive. You know, it's got over 15 trillion in mortgage debt in the United States alone. As of this is as of Q2 in 2018, that's where that number came from. But it's a complex system of processes and multiple middlemen. Anybody that's bought a house or even rented one kind of knows that there are layers and layers of, if you buy a house, you might as well just get a stamp with your signature on it, just stamp over and over and over. And there's, you know, it's so, it's so funny how a lot of these technologies created an, an understanding back when they came about that they would eliminate a lot of paper. Well, they really created more for the most part. But having said that, we may be getting to a place where that's going back the other way, going toward where we thought it would, where there's everything is identifiable in a digital way, a digital world, because our world can be broken down to ones and zeros if we look at it closely enough. And that's part of the functionality of blockchain technology, which has got a huge amount of, of energy behind it right now. But that ecosystem, that $15 trillion of U.S. mortgage debt, it, it's very complex. I mean, there's people carrying out the tasks from background checks to income verification to a variety of, of, of check boxes that you have to, to make sure you take care of either buying or selling the home. Introducing smart contracts into the mix could save, via some people's analysis, about a billion and a half dollars in the U.S. alone. For mortgages, that is. You know, lenders and borrowers could interact directly, reducing the costs associated with originating, processing, and servicing mortgages in general. Now, a lot of people believe this will take a lot of work out of the market, a lot of jobs out of the market. And that may be true. Um, right now, as we're coming out of this, I think we're coming out of this pandemic era, this COVID world that we live in, there are a lot of jobs available. So automation of this kind, a lot of people think of AI and worry about 
especially in our industry, in the transportation logistics industry, automation around truck driving, for instance, automating a lot of those processes. Well, automation has been going on forever in one shape or form. It'll continue to go on. It'll continue to take away jobs and create others. So adaptation is a part of what we talk about. But mortgage, mortgages, and, and you can tell by the little figure that I had on the head on the screen just a couple minutes ago, is trying to put the transactional partners together and avoid through blockchain technology, which is a, a kind of collective understanding and agreement on the elements of the transaction through smart contracts and avoid the complexities of working with all these middle people, including banks. So in, you know, and in, in it's very interesting because the total locked value that the TVL is what they call it involved in the um, DeFi, or I should say the, the blockchain kind of um, portfolio right now back in, you know, July of just a year ago, July of 2020. Now there was a lot going on, but the, the locked up value was about $3 billion. Now it seems like a lot of money, but in terms of finance, in terms of fintech, in terms of DeFi and where that's going, that's not a lot, $3 billion. Well, $3 billion at its height before it started to come back down a little bit was, was almost up to $90 billion in May of 2021. And you can see that when you go on to cryptocurrencies and look at the valuations that are keep going up, sometimes down, there's a lot of volatility and you have to, it's remarkable that there's that much of a climb. And right now, July was the last stat that really came out. It's about $50 billion in over, overall total locked value. And, you know, this, this is predicted to increase quite a bit over the course of the next six years or so. I, I think that the, the industry is talking about a perhaps like an 80% per year for the next six years or so increase in the, in the total locked value. And you can do the numbers to figure that out, but it's a lot. One of the other, one of the other industries that, that people are looking at real close is the internet, inter intellectual property aspect, the protection of that, that smart contracts can deal with. I mean, I, I hear commercials all the time. This goes back to the mortgages a little bit about locking in your uh, signatures in your ownership of properties uh, based on titleship and how that can be something that criminals can get a hold of and use to their advantage with <clears throat> getting other loans, et cetera. Well, intellect, you know, that kind of ties into this a little bit, but intellectual property is a very big deal, both locally, nationally, and internationally. We're always talking about intellectual property being stolen, but how to track all that back. You know, so smart contracts will help creators protect their copyrighted works. You know, any piece of content that's created is assigned ownership rights, depending on its contributors and its parts, of course. But anytime a content is purchased, there's a transaction involved. There's royalties that are, you know, automatically or can be automatically released to the correct party. So if you create an online like book, interactive book of some kind that, that defines blockchain technology. And you've used intellectual property protection smart contracts to identify through this online consensus that this is actually yours and yours alone. Then when somebody actually purchases 
for let's say five dollars, ten dollars, or whatever it is, this this ebook that that is of your intellectual property, then there will be an automatic release of royalties to that from whoever the platform party is or the printer, or et cetera, that's going on. That clearly outlines the ownership. It clearly outlines the automatic process of paying. And it eliminates, as I said earlier, the ambiguities that often accompany any kind of creative property. Now, this stuff can be extrapolated and looked at in terms of business as well. Oftentimes on larger contracts and agreements, there will be, you know, uh, non-compete kind of portions to that. There will be uh, uh, intellectual properties, uh, um, discussions within agreements. There certainly is an employment contract. Almost always there's the assumption and it's usually in writing in an employment agreement of some kind or an exit agreement of some kind that the whatever you may have done while as an employee of XYZ business that is crucial to that business itself, especially during your assumed business hours, whether salary or hourly, that is the intellectual property of the company you worked for and not your own. There are ways to get around that, of course. There's, a, there's ways to start up your own side business depending on the companies you work for, but you have to have clear definition on those things. And smart contracts makes that very clear. One of the other larger things to look at in terms of a target for this type of thing is the insurance industry. You know, the, the goal of any smart contract is to increase efficiencies, right? And, and you can see by looking at this, that this is a more efficient way of going about do, doing things. And it's to eliminate unnecessary third-party interactions. Insurance industry has a ton of that. Smart contracts automate at least a part of the administrative process just right off the bat. You know, as an example, you could say how you've purchased a natural disaster policy for your home. You know, as soon as the disaster hits your area, it would automatically trigger the creation of the claim. This would begin processing immediately, quickening the entire process and taking out of that kind of the assumed drag that is taken by human interaction to determine the type of disaster, where it's at, all the, the, there's certain elements that would still have to be looked at very closely. But if it's a consensus smart contract and, it, and the disaster says, if an earthquake happens here and it's of this magnitude, you're to be paid X, Y, and Z, then that's that's exactly what would happen. That's maybe a bad example, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. And, and of course, for our industry, the supply chain industry, import, export, domestic, there's a lot of different things that you can think of. Think of. Um, Probably one of the best benefits of smart contracts is increasing transparency. Security and transparency are a couple of the main things involved when you have non-third-party held agreements. And they're, <clears throat> they're transparent to anybody that wants to look at them properly. So there's, again, there's no discussion about, you know, spinning what this says one way or another. It's very clear. If, if this switch is turned on and it meets the criteria for what's happening, then the transaction is complete and now you are to be paid this amount of money or something along those lines. But, you know, one of the smart, one of the benefits of smart contracts is this transparency, transactional transparency. This is particularly useful in complicated import exports where there's a DO, there's tariffs, there's 
all kinds of interesting international harmonics that need to be adjusted for and to. And there's different measurements from different countries. The Galant in the United States has different physical measurements of things, ways to, uh, ways, ways to weigh things. Certainly there's, there's, you know, that. And there's a whole series of things on the supply chain side, especially in an international supply chain that requires a modification of how there's an exchange of value across you know, borders, reports, etc. So this has involved many stages and many parties, which is kind of right up the alley for efficiency and cost reduction in the supply chain in general. And of course, the Internet of Things also plays a role in this by making monitoring easier. You know, that as the Internet of Things grows in its, its complexity, automating, you know, I remember we said back a little while ago that you have to have some kind of outside input to some kinds, sometimes key the status or the change or whatever triggers have to the, the smart contract allows for it to complete its overall transaction. Well, the Internet of Things can help us do that. It plays a role in this by making all this monitoring easier. Information gathered from the IoT connected devices is transmitted automatically in some kind of code to the blockchain, and that can trigger the coded event. So as you're doing inventory in a warehouse, for instance, and you scan this, this, the blank shelf, and it tells you there's five in there instead of six, and it, it triggers an automatic um, reordering process, for instance. Those things have been going on for a long time, but the smart contracts make them even more efficient, more effective, and faster. Or you, you uh, scan a box as it coming in from a, from a truck or a, an international container, and that, that code goes into the inventory system as received. There's an automatic uh, generation of a trigger within the smart contract between you and that party over in Germany, say, that shipped whatever that was over to you. And now they know automatically that there's a proof of delivery constituted by an Internet a scanner, from which is an Internet of Things, one of the things on the Internet, right, that gives, a, gives credence to the smart contract and automates this process. This is a great example. A good is transported from a warehouse to a ship. The ship system sends a confirmation of the receipt of the item in fine condition, which triggers the release of a payment to the manufacturer. These transactions right now can be extremely complicated, and the smart contract simply simply simplifies the process. Now, another element that's not often talked about, we can develop perhaps at a later time, and I actually have spoke to Scott Walton and in one of my previous interview podcasts about how DeFi, again, decentralized finance, actually can help small business almost as much sometimes as large business. Large business, often, they, and I've said this many times, the deep pockets, the capacity, their, their ability to, to spend money on these transitional technologies and things is fantastic as it drives the market, but it also gives them some kind, sometimes, what I consider some unfair advantages. Ultimately, though, some of the advantages given to these large companies bleed down to the smaller ones in very positive ways. And one of those is, is creditworthiness in terms of uh, payments. And what I mean by that is, is a mid-cap company may be looking to have or a broker. Let's say it's a truck broker. And a truck broker is looking to have an underlying carrier that is trying to develop a relationship offer more trucks to the broker to accommodate an agreement that broker has with a large 
um, retailer, for instance. So that so the trucker in normal times will look at the creditworthiness of that broker, that middleman that has its you know subjective insurance and contingent policies and and does a certain amount of business overall and says, okay, how fast do they pay? That is normal in your credit worthiness and score is very important. Oftentimes, smaller businesses will pay a lot in cash up front so they haven't developed credit worthiness. But here's what can happen with having a, a proper smart contract in a blockchain where this is the case. The credit worthiness will drop down from the large company, the small, or the, mid, the broker. And what I mean by this is that the trucker that's looking to give more or less trucks to the broker looks at the fact that it can see that this broker has a smart contract with the large retailer, the smart contract, which says upon instant notification, automated notification based on an Internet of Things scanner at the destination retailers, it will automatically pay the broker for that transaction. Well, if I'm a trucker, I now see that the broker is not having to wait a great deal of time for their money, which means I won't have to wait or the trucker won't have to wait a great deal of time for their money. So this is, this is one of the confluence of things that happen when smart contracts are used properly. And if, if you look at overall the flow of how smart contract servicing can work in the transportation logistics industry, you'll see that there is multiple partners. There's, there's always, you can, you can see on this diagram, as a matter of fact, that, that came across here, that there's two contractual parties, A and B. And they've got all these periphery of things that go on in terms of incoming goods and inspections and material flow and manufacturing, payment services, the financial institutions, all that kind of thing. And what ends up happening is instead of having lines from each contracted partner to each of the potential pieces of this puzzle independent of one another, now all the information flow goes right into the smart contract in as much of an automated way as humanly possible. So the information flow is automated in a way that, that cuts out a lot of the extra energy involved. I don't know what percentage of extra energy that is. History will dictate really how things evolve in that manner. But you can see intuitively, going back to what I talked about on the Toyota way the, the, or the Six Sigma Black Belt, there's there's an effective way of looking at how do you find out causality? How do you look, or I should say causation, how do you look back onto things and see what steps must be taken to get you to a place that makes sense in, in, in terms of making what you do more competitive, more efficient, more effective? Because, you know, competition is there. If, if, if there is no competition, if you have a product or service that is wanted so much by your identified um, prospects and clients, you can charge basically what you want. It's a supply and demand kind of arrangement. But if the competition is there and you're all making the same sort of things or you all have the same service and you have varying degrees of relationships with, with clients and prospects and vendors and shippers, et cetera, then there needs to be identifiable differentiation in smart contracts can, can provide a lot of that. So this is something that's going to be here, whether we you know, want it to be that way or not, how it morphs in the future based on, you know, the, the large entrenched 
entities that are already in these systems will be interesting to find out. Regulation could be something that could curtail or slow down the process of a lot of this, but ultimately it is here to stay. So the benefits overall, there are four major benefits to blockchain technology in terms of smart contracts. First of which is transparency, the elimination of ambiguity. We've talked about that a bit. Blockchain at this point is immutable. That doesn't mean it's permanently immutable. If, you know, hackers and criminals and the like, they're, they're always finding out new ways to, to make something that, that was defined as, well, hey, the Titanic was unsinkable at one time, right until it came across the right size and dimension of iceberg. But for now, blockchain is, at this point, considered immutable. Um, also, it's simplicity for regulatory oversight. As a regulator, you want to be able to see chain of custody of events. You want to see sequential and forever data on whatever the event is you're trying to understand, regulate, or go back into an audit. That will make it very simple. So that's number one. Number two is efficiency, right? You know, if, if you're able to automatically execute terms in a smart contract, that is just much simpler than the process in place now with most people where there's paperwork exchanges, scanning and PDF files and, and you know, um, arguments back and forth, whether your, your event code has been correct in a way that allows you to get paid for the service you rendered a month, two months, three months ago in the transportation world or the, the, the product you bought or sold. This creates an efficiency because of the automation that is evident right on its face. The third, it kind of goes with that hand in hand, is the autonomy. You know, the elimination or minimization of many third parties, the recalibration, if you will, of what those third parties may or may not do. The, you know, turning of a time or a way of doing these complex transactions to bring the two parties involved in any agreement, because there's always got to be two, at least two, in bringing them closer to one another. There's value in there. There's autonomy in that. And the value is that intermediaries, uh, the escrow involved, because that's what intermediaries do, whether it's value, whether it's understanding, whether it's contracts, whether it's finance, et cetera. Intermediaries, third parties, construct that value, hold that value, and get some kind of financial benefit for that value. So there's a time frame involved moving part of the parties closer together, and then there's a value. So the number four ties into all these, and it's lower cost. If you're more transparent, more efficient, and autonomous, or semi-autonomous, then overall you're going to have a lower cost of doing whatever it is we're talking about doing. As, as I mentioned a moment or two ago, the estimated compound growth rate, which is the CAGR, CAGR, is estimated to be 80% for the next six years or so. And that's an incredible amount of growth. Incredible. So now that doesn't mean we're on the ground floor of this. This is something that's been moving forward in crypto for many years and has really started to, to get traction in industry outside of what is considered um, fringe, if you will. But it's, it's here to stay. Now, I, and just as kind of a last thing, you know, to kind of give you an idea of where things are going, uh, M MOBI, which is a nonprofit alliance of some of the world's largest vehicle manufacturers, along with startups, 
governments and non-governmental agencies and interests uh, is coming together with basically Ford, Denso, and AWS. That's Amazon uh, Web Services. Um, they're among many the mobility and technology leaders collaborating with Mobi to roll out industry industry-wide. This is the the automatic automotive industry, industry-wide blockchain-based standards. They're looking to standardize things before things get too out of control, before we have, you know, um, beta versus VHS kind of scenario in the future, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. So anyways, they want these standards to kind of ensure the sustainability of what we're talking about here. They don't want this to go away. They want to be able to use sustainable sourcing and tracking vehicle parts EV batteries that are coming out and is going to be a big thing, you know, throughout production, use, maintenance, end of life, returns, all that kind of stuff. Repairs, aftermarket, add-ons. They, they want to be able to look at this. The automotive supply chain is kind of multi-tiered and very complex. From raw materials to recalls, distributors, parts suppliers, manufacturing, finance, everything you can possibly imagine. There are seven groups of focus that are talking about the blockchain for automotive, okay? And how, how this is working through this mobile process with Denzel and Ford in particular in AWS. And so they're looking at business process management, the manufacturing part of what we do, or what they do, you know, parts traceability and recall management. So when things go wrong, they're going to be able to sort of crack in the, you know, whatever the engine block, they can get that back. Um, so... Uh, consumption itself, which is the consumer buying and, and tracking all that, uh, the ethical sourcing and sustainability. That's that's a big thing today because a lot of the materials sourced, we have to get smarter about how we source them. We have to source them from countries and populations that are uh, not driving social things that are not wanted by the manufacturers. They, you want to be able to source things in a way it's kind of like the old arguments with, with a lot of diamond sourcing. You want to get South African diamonds, which are considered quote-unquote blood diamonds, or you want to source them somewhere else. You want to manufacture diamonds, all that kind of thing. That's just as an example. But it is it is a pretty good example when you talk about ethical sourcing and sustainability because because it's a balance. You want to get them from the right place and the good people that are, that are uh, digging out the raw materials you need, but you want it to be sustainable. You don't, you don't want it to be something that's gone in five minutes. And of course, the big one I'm always interested in is, is the transportation logistics side. There's so many elements to that involved in the supply chain for automotive that it's it has to be it has to use smart contracts to the right degree to make that happen. And of course, finally, the seventh and probably the one well, the one we're all in business to 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 make sure happens is the finance and payment side. All of these things using blockchain and, and the technologies we're talking about can create the ability to do that. Now, those are the those are the items. And I, I put across the screen a few seconds ago, kind of what automotive um, could look like in terms of cases, and you know, in terms of the possible use cases for you know the smart vehicles, the regulatory transparency for environmental threat theft prevention, uh, all kinds of automation, document and title transfer, insurance platforms, you name it. That can be a part of it. Now, I wanted to finish up with this, this particular um, podcast and video 
because we are transportation oriented. We, we look and dive into all kinds of different aspects of, of the world today and what we're up to and what we're doing and what's best for everybody, et cetera. But the blockchain as we've defined it today, and I know we're at the 10,000 foot view and there's not a lot of detail for something like this, but really there's a lot of people believe there's, this is going to impact a huge amount of businesses. But in the supply chain side and supply chain management, they're really looking at some, some kind of primary things that it should be able to impact. And I, one of the most important, I think, is transaction settlement. One way, shape, or form, somebody's service is offered and needs to be uh, settled in a way that's more consistent. With a lot of people are going to looking at prepaid situations based on supply and demand, et cetera. But for the most part, that's not the case in supply chain transportation. But there needs to be the ability to get paid for doing your job. And that's, that's number one. Audit transparency is fantastic because everybody wants to audit everybody about everything. And there's a lot of things in the, um, in the works right now from the FMCSA and some other people that are, that are saying brokers in particular must keep the ability for others, including uh, transportation providers and truckers to see and audit everything available like that. Um, accurate costing information can be tracked this way. The, the alter alternations between the, the quote of five years ago and the quote of t- tomorrow is something we track through smart contracts. Certainly the LTL industry has been good at this for years with SAR late tariffs that reflect back to, to tariffs that are years and years old. Well, that might be able to be transformed itself with the proper um, blockchain smart contract as well to something that can show the iterations of a, an agreed tariff over time and how that might change. Of course, better shipping data you know, and preventing compliance violations and all the paperwork goes along with that. Automation on the side of different supply chains, depending on whether you're in special projects, you know, certainly reducing counterfeit kind of scenarios that go on and fictitious things that happen. And and of course, one of the biggest things that isn't talked about a lot, because ultimately these blockchain smart contracts are developed by human beings. But anybody that does studies on the ins and outs of whether it's the supply chain industry or other industries will let you know that human error is always a big part of what what people are looking at. And certainly we're all humans. We certainly all err. So there's no contesting that. So as we drive efficiencies and come up with solutions that create additional automations, that we're going to only benefit from that situation. So that's all really I have to say for the day. I think this is one of those subjects, especially if we get some reflection back from people that, that we may delve into um, maybe a real deep dive into some of the segments of transportation and maybe how maybe you as a mid cap or small business owner, or you as, a, as part of a large corporation can look to utilize these new technologies in a way that's going to benefit your career your ability to be an owner operator, your ability to be to, to guide your your um, success pathway in the transportation supply chain industry. So we invite you, as always, to jump on YouTube, watch this video, be part of iLevelLogistics.com. Come to us, subscribe, get the daily, get the industry indicators coming to you via email every single day of the week. Some 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 great audios and videos some curated information all on that website 
and all on different audio platforms for our podcasts, etc. Be part of the community. Be part of the, the, the transition of uh, people that need to understand and learn that the supply chain industry is part of their lives, an important one. So thanks again, and we'll see you very soon. 